0: Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients overcome the weight loss obstacles they have so they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child is also what applies when trying to reach our weight loss and health goals because the obstacles that we have to losing weight also reach out into all areas of our life as we often have challenges with either relationships, work, finances, our home, families, just our home environment, businesses and sometimes we even have injuries or other uh, more complex health issues that we need help with. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in other professionals to help you overcome those obstacles. And today we have the wonderful Andy Steer, founder and director of Vividly Simple Limited. Andy lives in South Oxfordshire in the UK with his partner and two of his three daughters. He also has two grown-up sons who live not too far away, which is really lovely to have your family nice and close. And for many years, Andy was frustrated by the unnecessary complexity that surrounds anything to do with IT or telecom. And having spent so many years running his own company as he was in the corporate life, he is now in the happy position to be able to work with smaller businesses and help them to make informed choices about how and where technology can be used effectively. Andy set up Vividly Simple in 2016 with services aimed squarely at helping small business owners and managers to choose the right IT for their businesses by removing the frustration and leaving them free to grow the business or spend time with their family, even better still, to do whatever it is that they like to do. So welcome to the show, Andy, and thanks so much for joining us today. It's really great having you.
1: Thank you, Katie. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Now, listen, could you tell us a little bit about what it is specifically that you do and what the main way is that you help your clients?
1: Sure. I mean, in, in the old way of describing it, I guess we provide IT support and we help customers with IT projects. But in the new way of thinking, which I prefer, it's, it's more about relieving that, that stress that comes along with complexities in IT and when your computer's going wrong and everything's happening all at once, your deadlines are fast approaching. And we, we step in and we're, we're the people there to you know, remove all of that pressure and just let you get on with what it is you do best. So we worry about your IT and leave our, our customers to get on with what they do best.
0: Which is amazing, right, and and so crucially needed. I personally as somebody who's struggled with all things IT in my own business and in other places that I've worked, I've seen how IT just bamboozles business owners and causes such major stress, not only for the owners but for the people that work for them because, you know, it can create a whole bottleneck or uh, places I've worked, it can create a real oh I can't try, circus comes to mind as the word, you know, trying to fix something or have something work properly and not being able to sort it out. So I love what you do and how you do it and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later on if that's okay. And what I'd really like to talk to you today is about, a little bit about Andy because this is where You know, we're all the same. We're all humans. We all have to overcome obstacles in life. And I think what I love so much about talking to people such as yourself is that when we share our stories, we share with other people some of the great ways that, you know, they might have uh, learned for overcoming some of the obstacles that they have in their life. So with that in mind, what's one of the greatest hardships that you've had to overcome in your life? And how did you do it? Like what strategies did you use and how did you develop your resilience?
1: So this is, this is a, a question that I've been asked before and it's a really difficult one for me to answer because I don't really feel that I've had really any hardship to overcome which which makes me sound really lucky, but actually, the older I get, the more I realise that the reason for that is I don't I don't necessarily see the world in the same way that that people around me do. So you know I've I've had uh, some hardships around my, uh, relationship breakups. I've been married a couple of times, and you know it's it's obviously very difficult at the end of a, a marriage to go through that process of you know everything separating and and falling apart in some respects but I I never really saw it as a hardship Um, however if I look through the eyes of of the other people involved I'm sure they did Um, and I'm I'm sure that same principle applies to lots of the things we're going to talk about today that that I, I I tend to to be quite confident about my view of the world and about opportunities and potential And it's the other people around me that that probably struggle more than I do in these kind of situations.
0: So where did you develop that ability? Or maybe you didn't have to develop it. Maybe you were born with it. But that way to be able to see those challenges in life, because they are challenges, even if they don't feel so much like a hardship, but they are challenges going, breaking up in relationships or, you know, people die in our lives. We have things that we have to overcome. But to be able to have that really um, sort of a clean view of just accepting that this is what is and moving through the emotional states, because it's generally the emotional states that trip us all up and have us doing things that, create those hardships for us do we like that as a kid
1: yeah i think so i i think you know my my parents view of the world is largely responsible for shaping my view of the world um and my my way of living my life actually challenges is a is a word i'm much more familiar with because i i've certainly had lots of challenges through my life but i i approach challenges with with sort of enthusiasm generally, because they're, they're usually an outcome that I'm really keen to create at the end of it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I tend to be very comfortable in in understanding what it is I, I, I want to achieve or, or the direction that I want to go in. And then I, I just have this belief in myself or, or whatever it is uh, that there will be a way to get there. Yeah. Um, and you don't necessarily need to know. I, this is where I, I think I'm, I'm different to most people. I don't need to know what that way is before I embark on the journey. Because I, I just know that there, there is a way. There will be a way. And I'll, I'll find that way. Whereas a lot of people around me, and I've only realised this in, in sort of slightly later life, a lot of people around me need, they need to see the way before they take the first steps. Um, Yeah, and it's actually been really fascinating to to start to appreciate that. Now I'm sort of middle-aged and a little bit more reflective.
0: Got all that hindsight behind you. Hindsight's such a wonderful thing. But what a wonderful way to be, to just have been able to view your life as challenges because that's all they are and a challenge is like you say it's just a step up isn't it I mean that's the way I see challenges now I don't really use that word hardly anymore it's a step up to somewhere that you want to go and you know that's sometimes takes a bit of ingenuity to get there
1: yeah I think of it as it's just change and, and for me change is a really good thing you know I I, I like variety I like things to change um I, it's, it's crazy things. I talk to other people who've lived in the same house for 10 or 15 years. And the longest I've, as an adult, the longest I've ever lived in a house is three and a half years.
0: Oh, really? Because after
1: that, I've experienced it. I've enjoyed it. But now I'd like to, to go and, you know, experience it somewhere else, whether it's a bigger house, a smaller house.
0: Different, different
1: areas. Part of
0: the you moved to different areas?
1: Yeah not not I'm not an extensive traveler when it comes to moving home it's all been within the, the sort of southeast of England broadly
0: yeah
1: um, to date but the next move might be a bit more interesting than that maybe we'll we'll come to that later on
0: <laughs> well and see I'm I can kind of relate to both of those groups of people that you just spoke about because I grew up the house that I was born in. So I was born two weeks after my parents moved to a house in the country of like in the hinterland of the Gold Coast in Southeast Queensland. And I was born two weeks later and I was still living there at age 25. My parents had moved out and I was renting the home from them, but I had only had a hiatus from living there for a couple of years. And then I hadn't, I lived on the Gold Coast until I was 46. I stayed, like I am just was there. But then when I turned 46, I completely went gypsy and I lived out of my suitcase for five years, like voluntarily, while I went and travelled and went to different places and saw different things and, you know, I house sat for three years staying in a different home every, like, on average, it worked out about I moved house every five weeks for three years. So, you know, completely the opposite. But then I'm back to I've been in this place that I'm in now for four and a half years. So, I must float between the two. So it's really interesting that you have. We did your family move around much when you were a kid?
1: Nope. So my my parents lived in the same house. That, that we moved to when I was 11, and they stayed there for 38 years. Oh, wow. And they, they recently moved sort of out into the, the UK countryside a bit, and they've been there for ooh, eight or nine years now. But no, they, they didn't move around very much at all. Oh, wow. I think partly what triggered it is when, when I first bought my property in mid-1980s, it was very much a market where you would buy a property and the value would go up and you could sell it and you could buy a bigger property. And looking back now, that that's the start of the the kind of corporate ladder or or the social ladder that we were all programmed to to climb at the time. Yeah. Um, so you know, in in my early to mid twenties, I, I would move house potentially every eighteen months or two years, but from for different reasons for for this sort of climbing the, the social status ladder, if you like.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I just got, maybe I just got used to it. Maybe it was always there in me anyway, and it just fitted. fitted like the pattern. variety. The,
0: do, you make, yeah. do you change jobs that often? Like, I know you're in business for yourself now, but in your earlier years, did you sort of move around in, in work, in your career? Yeah,
1: it's, it was a pretty similar thing. So, so my background is sales and marketing, although I run a, an IT company. Yeah. Um, I'm not technical. My, my skills aren't technical. It's it's about people and sales and marketing. And again, at that same point in life, in, in sales, it was quite a ruthless profession, and you had to move companies generally to to increase your salary. And you need to increase your salary to buy the bigger house, and you're in this, yeah, this loop. Get um, so yeah, I I would say probably you know, every two or three years, I would change jobs as well. Wow. Interspersed. So I, I, I set up my first company myself when I was twenty-five. Oh, really? What
0: 20, was that one?
1: 20, Twenty-four, actually. It was uh, we were selling cleaning and maintenance chemicals, oh, right. which is really boring and dull. But the interesting part of the story, I guess, is that was the same age that I was about to get married and about to have our first child. Right. Um. So it kind of. Maybe that demonstrates how difficult I might be to live with sometimes. Because to me, there was no, you know, no trepidation about that at all. I was perfectly confident. That was the way to go. Um, my wife or, or wife-to-be probably didn't think the same, although I didn't ask her at the time. I think she was, she, I, I I can be quite infectious, I think, when I get an idea and start to enthuse about it. And um, I, I guess she came along because... It, it transferred onto her as well. And it, it turned out fine, you know. You
0: became enthusiastic?
1: Yeah, I think so. And it was, you know, we, we worked for three and a half years, but that's the three and a half years again. You know, then, then it was time to move on. The, the longest I've ever worked in one place, uh, I worked for T-Mobile. Hmm. T-Mobile at the time was a, a much smaller mobile operator called uh, One-to-One in yep. the UK and it was then bought out by by T-Mobile later and my career there was nine years oh wow
0: there you and go you had a really- steady moment did you have many roles yeah I
1: did that and that company, was
0: in that time yes so you got your variety yeah about four industry. or five yes exactly
1: yeah so I, I do need variety I need to mix things up from time to time and and you know whether that's within an organisation or, or deciding to get out and do it for myself. Yeah. You know, that's what I do. I, even, In fact, when I left T-Mobile, there was uh, an option to take redundancy, which I decided to do. And I really wanted to get away from that corporate life. Um, so although I changed roles a lot, I think I was sensing, I've been here way too long.
0: Yes. Um,
1: so I spent the redundancy money on buying a property and doing it up to sell.
0: Yeah.
1: And spent... They yeah, call I'm it houses
0: here. I don't know if they
1: call it over there. Same thing. Yeah, same thing, same thing. So I, I, I decided to flip a house with the money and had a fabulous year doing it, but it wasn't financially very successful. So that, that possibly <laughs> added a bit of pressure to, to a second marriage. That I,
0: Speaking I was, of that then, what would be uh, one of the biggest risks that you've ever taken? Was that one of the big risks for you to do that?
1: I guess so, but I, I didn't see it as a risk. Or I, I saw it as a risk, but not a risk that was, you know, not worth taking. And I never doubted the outcome. Yeah. So, you know, when, when, you, when you judge or assess a risk and you think, you know, there's a very high likelihood of the right outcome here, it, it's much easier yeah. than taking a risk where you, you're apprehensive and you're not sure. So, yeah, that would, yeah. That would, be, that would be one of the biggest risks. I think possibly the the biggest risk is yet to come. Really. So I talked. Well, I talked a little yeah. bit earlier about the next house move.
0: Yeah. And I
1: think um, you know my youngest daughter now is eighteen. She's going off to uni in in later on this year. And once she's settled in there, my partner and I are, are pretty much free to to do different things that you don't get the chance to do as a kind of active parent of younger children. Um, so I, I think the next move may well be to Spain or somewhere warmer and sunnier. I and of course that
0: wet old UK.
1: Yeah, which I know you love the rain, but I'm, I'm a sun worshipper. <laughs> as long as I put my, put my cream on, wear my hat. Yeah, yeah,
0: we but, did it um, in Mallorca. Was it Mallorca?
1: Yeah, I, I spent a month working from Mallorca. Yeah. And the idea of that. Sorry?
0: What a life.
1: Yeah, well, the idea of it was to to do a dry run, really, to see whether it's possible that I can carry on running the company and do it from somewhere else in the world. And it it worked out very well.
0: Very successful. It was very nice to do our networking Zooms while you were sitting there in my It's like, ah, I want to be there. All right, well, tell me then... we've sort of talked about the hardships and this question may seem a little bit the same but has there been anything that you've voluntarily put yourself through that felt like it was um a bit hard like I know I've done a couple of things only really two that I voluntarily put myself through because I really wanted to make a change or have a new experience but I when I talk to people about them now, I will say they were the most hardest things I've ever had to go through voluntarily. So does anything come to mind that might fit for you?
1: Not, not really. I, I so my, the way I challenge myself tends to be business related. Um, so you know, the, the closest that I can come to that would be starting up my own company or leaving a well-paid job and doing the, um, the house renovation or, you know, even deciding at, at the age of 50 to start up another company and, and, you know, make that the vehicle that provides for us in the future. Um, so that, that's how I challenge myself. Lots of, lots of my friends challenge themselves in different ways. Yeah. You know, long endurance cycle rides or climbing up a big, a big mountain. But I, I don't feel the need to challenge myself in that way. The, the hardest thing i put myself through voluntarily, and this can sound like nothing to most people, was to, to climb the second biggest mountain in the UK, whether it's actually classed as a mountain or not. I don't know. It's, it's less than a 1,000 metres. Um. But I decided to do that with some friends and we we just you know set off at about 10 o'clock in the morning and eight and a half hours later we staggered back after climbing all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom. And you know, that's that's not how I enjoy challenging myself. Halfway up, I could have easily sat there, had a glass of wine, and then turned around and come back.
0: And waited for them all to come back down. I'll catch you on yeah. the return.
1: And I wouldn't have felt at all like I'd missed out, even if they came back with massive smiles and they'd, they'd reached the top and felt that sense of achievement. It wouldn't have made any difference to me at all.
0: So have you ever done any trekking or did you just do that from a cold start? Like, I mean, it, yeah, no, there's hours walking. That's a lot for most people. Yeah.
1: I mean, most people um, do it in less time than that. So we did take a picnic and two bottles of wine in our backpacks (laughs) so we weren't rushing up and we weren't rushing back (laughs) no um but i you know i I like to go for a walk around the countryside but nothing nothing extreme and i I prefer to stroll or amble around and look at what's going on around me rather than head down and you know route march anywhere
0: yeah
1: um i think the longest walk i had done before that i did with my granddad when i was about 11 or 12 years old and that was a 10 mile Walk for charity, so you know that shows you my level of uh, of trekking.
0: <laughs> That's okay. Everybody does different things. I have a um, one of my previous clients. She's become a mad trekker. She's got. A, uh, she's going to be trekking from. The one end of like the top end of New Zealand to the bottom in October, that's going to be her next trek. She's oh. just turned into like this woman who goes for week-long treks, you know, three weeks out into the bush on her own. Not for everyone.
1: No, I, I can understand why they do it. You know, it must be fabulous to just have that that peace, the quiet, the the challenge. Um I would I would quite happily go out for a week. Yeah but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do the trekking part.
0: I need someone to carry my bag. I don't mind doing all the walking. I don't like carrying all my stuff. I'm not a light traveller, I must say.
1: <laughs> no, nor am, I. nor am I.
0: So what is it that you do for fun, Andy?
1: For fun, I like, um, I like food and drink and travelling. That's my real passion. Food, food is, is my real passion. Um, you know to relax I'll cook for fun I'll I'll go exploring and find nice restaurants that provide nice food from all around the world and that's that's where I've found my thing that I really enjoy it's tastes and flavours and food and, and cooking.
0: What do you like to cook is there a specific style or do you just cook like to cook anything?
1: I I like to cook anything I I watch here in the UK we have Saturday morning uh, TV cookery shows Mm -hmm. and I tend to watch those and I get inspired and think oh I'm going to try that so we might have that tonight or you know tomorrow for lunch and I sort of slowly build up a bit of a a repertoire your
0: wife must be very happy do you do all
1: the yeah she's over the moon (laughs) pretty much yeah so for me, it's relaxing. For her, it's, it's stressful.
0: Yeah, it's a chore.
1: Yeah. However, she's, she loves cleaning up, and I'm not so good at tidying up. So it works really well, and it's what keeps the, the children. But, yeah, it's, it's also what keeps the children coming back to see us from time to time. So they come back for the food, really.
0: <laughs> come back for Dad's cooking.
1: Exactly. Well,
0: exactly. that's nice because I really don't do a lot of cooking anymore. I just do really simple food, fast, like, you know, simple and easy and fairly quick to cook. I used to make elaborate food um, and then I outgrew it. So, But I do I remember enjoying making a meal from scratch. I used to like to make Indian food from scratch, you know, blend all your spices and yeah. grind them and do all of that.
1: Yeah, I like... Um- I like a, a mixture. So I like to, to do things. I like to have enough time to cook if I'm going to cook. So cooking under pressure is, mm. is not my thing either. Operating under pressure is not really my thing. That's probably why I, I try and avoid it. But, um, yeah, when you've got time and you can plan, I'm happy to do a, you know, something a bit more elaborate. But I, I, also, I also really appreciate the things that are really fast but really tasty. You know, pastas with a really simple sauce, yeah. With the right ingredients, can can be just wow, tasty. But just take ten or fifteen minutes to create.
0: Yeah. Well, it didn't sound like you're a fan of takeaway food. Like you know, the basic takeaway stuff. You either go to a nice restaurant or you make some nice food for yourself, which is the way it should be.
1: Yeah, I think I think fast food is is one of the scourges of modern living. To be honest, we, we part of the appeal. Of, of the Mediterranean and Southern Europe for me is, is still that traditional approach to, to food and to cooking and to ingredients. Yeah. And in the UK, it, it worries me that we're, we're less like Southern Europeans and more like Americans.
0: Yeah, and when you look at what's difference. happening
1: in America, you think, yeah, why, why would we look at America and choose to follow that route ourselves? Because it looks like it leads to disaster in terms of health and, and, you know, weight loss and general fitness. So, yeah, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason.
0: I do like the Mediterranean style. In in my house uh, sitting adventures, I stayed in a 300-year-old organic olive farm. I stayed at a – it was sort of a retreat thing and it wasn't a proper solo house sit there, so there was lots of other people there. And we used to pick the – Olives off the, th- off the olive trees were 300 years old. So you're picking olives from a tree that's 300 years old. Then the man pressed all the olives. So all the olive oil that we had was fresh pressed from his trees. And we'd pick all the yeah. uh, vegetables and herbs from the garden. And he used to get, I'm not, not person for eating pasta, but he used to buy the pasta from the little village. I can't remember the name of the little village that we were near. We were sort of out of anywhere and it was the best pasta ever 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 that i've had and possibly because it was covered with this beautiful olive oil from his farm and these organic vegetables straight out of the ground and it was like the best food i've ever ever had and it's you know you can't compare it to anything i've tried to replicate it you know many times and there's just no way
1: no it's it's you know, 80% of it, I think, is down to the ingredients. And if you taste olive oil that is freshly pressed like that, it tastes nothing like the olive oil you buy in a supermarket. Or Yeah. It's just a, a different level.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talking cheese, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's one of the things I've enjoyed. One of the things that got me into food was, um, as well as going to wine tastings, I went to an olive oil tasting where the... the guy who, who ran the place similar to yours let us taste three or four different olive oils from three or four different seasons and with different trees some of them were the old olives, some of them were the new and when they when someone talks you through it and explains it and you can taste the difference between one and the other yeah you suddenly realize the oil isn't just there to provide the cooking it's it's part of the flavor
0: Exactly. It's part of the experience of the food. And, you know, when you get the really cloudy, like in Italy, they do the really cloudy oil. So it's, it's like the actual proper first pressing, yeah. you know. There's so much bits and pieces in there, and it just adds to the flavour and the tastiness of it.
1: Yeah. That's me on a plate, really.
0: <laughs> Excuse <laughs> the pun. <laughs> well, tell me, Andy, what is it that you like to do to relax?
1: So relaxing, it's a combination of travelling and cooking and just being around with the family. Yeah, I think that's that's really it. You know, the, the kids have grown up now. I don't need them with me all the time. But when we do come back together, it's really nice to just, you know, be, be together and, and have that, that family unit that that is a bit missing, really, in a lot of the UK. A lot of people are, are so you know, focused on... on future and developments and things that we lose a little bit of family, we lose a bit of community yeah. sense, certainly, certainly here in the southeast. Um, so I, I, I like to bring that back. So travelling around the, the Mediterranean is my, my real playground these days. I don't, I don't want to sit on an aeroplane for too long before I can just enjoy somewhere
0: yeah.
1: a bit different. And, and then, so lucky and really, here. it is down to. Cooking.
0: I was just going to say, you're so lucky in the UK. I think that's one of the things I just really like about it is that you are only a couple of hours, a few hours, from so many great countries.
1: Yeah, I, within within a two hour flight, I think I could get to at least twelve or thirteen countries that are all very different, from Germany down to the south to Spain and Italy. The, the Baltic States, Croatia, yeah. Greece, you Up know, just... Iceland, Greece is, Iceland yeah. Green,
0: oh, sorry, Greenland.
1: I've never been that far.
0: Well, I have. Greenland. It's lovely. Yeah. It's really diverse. Like the countryside is so diverse and so interesting and so amazing. You drive along, Look, well, when I went there, driving along looking for this waterfall, right? And it's flat, just flat, dead flat. Going, I don't know where there's a waterfall here. So we actually pulled up and said, Oh, we'll just pull up here. It looks like it's a park thing, but it's dead flat. But what it was was a big gorge there. You couldn't see it until you got out of the car and went for a bit of a walk. And then there's this massive gorge. And a waterfall that was coming off of, I don't know, where it was coming from, but it was amazing.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's lovely when you stumble across things like that. I went to, I've only been to Australia once. I, I came for three weeks uh, in my very early 30s. And one of the experiences that I remember the most was uh, a trip to the Blue Mountains. Oh. Because I came out of Sydney on a, on a bus of some sort, and within only about an hour, I think, or an hour and a half, you were suddenly in this amazing sort of mountainous area with, with similar things. There, there were waterfalls and trees so tall and gorges. And there was one place, I think, where we walked under an, an, a rock overhang. If I remember rightly, that's where they were pointing out where the funnel web spiders lived. <laughs> Apart from that, it, yeah, it was all there? so, in. so incredible. In I love um, scenery, but I don't want to hike through it. I don't want to trek through it for weeks and then to get there.
0: Yeah, I'm
1: a bit. Um, I went to uh, Las Vegas a long, long time ago. Part of the trip that is um, a flight that you can take from Las Vegas to see the Hoover Dam and then the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. and actually that that for me was the perfect way to see it because the hoof dam's huge and the grand canyon is just magnificent and to be able to get there in an airplane and have a look at it for an hour or two and then get back in the airplane and go away again that's <laughs> that's my way to see it that's some would prefer way
0: to travel
1: exactly exactly
0: <laughs> wonderful so any I actually like to find out how people got to be in the businesses that they're in. So how did your earlier career choices actually lead you where, to where you are now with your business?
1: I don't think there's a direct link in terms of the businesses that I've worked in, but it's the, the fact that I've been in sales and marketing and it's always been about people that is the common thread throughout my career. Because once you understand people, you can apply that to, to anything. It doesn't matter what. You know, I, I, I'm quite good at picking up enough knowledge about a, an industry or a sector to be able to have a sensible conversation.
0: Yeah. And I have
1: no desire to dig deeper than that and become the expert in any of it. What I, what I prefer to be is the expert in, in understanding what it is that, that makes people tick. What, what do people want? What is it that's missing in their lives that, that we can provide? That allows us to be successful and that goes all the way back from when i was selling cleaning and maintenance chemicals to then doing it for myself to even doing up the the house so flipping the property yeah I, I felt very confident that i knew what it needed to look like for people to walk through and go wow i want to buy this um, so yeah that's that's the common thread it, it's that experience that has built and built and built over the years of just knowing how important it is to, to understand the customer and what it is that's going to solve their problem or make their life easier. And if you can nail that, then you're, you're 80% of the way there, I think. After that, you've just got to be, a, you know, someone that they're reasonably happy to spend a bit of time with and talk to.
0: Yeah. So what motivated you to stick with Vividly Simple?
1: I think this goes back to to the fact that I really do enjoy a challenge. This is what I love doing. Um, I wake up in the morning and I'm I'm excited, still five years on, about what today is going to bring and how we're going to develop and build this this company into something bigger and better and how it's going to become the the vehicle to support my future. We've we've just come through two years of of a pandemic, which was, for, for many people, an absolute disaster. Um for me less so there there was a, a really challenging few days when we all went into lockdown and you could see around the world everything was starting to close down. Yeah. But that for me represented another challenge to say, okay, what is it? We people need IT. We're all going to be working from home. People need IT. How are we going to change what we do to make sure that we're delivering it and make sure we get through this this pandemic phase. So you know, you adjust your expectations. Every day's a little bit different. But every day you've got this, this constant change, which I think between us we've identified is, is one of the things that drives me on.
0: Yes, you do like the variety and the challenge. That's me. <laughs> um, okay, so where can people find you if they want to know more about your business and how you can help them, Andy?
1: So the best thing to do is find us on the website first. It's Mm www.vividlysimple.com or drop me an email. My email address is andy at vividlysimple.com or you can do it the old fashioned way and give us a call. My number is the UK, which is plus
0: 44
1: 118 304 3194.
0: Awesome and we'll include those um, at the end of this uh, podcast as well. We'll pop them up for people so that they can see them. So thanks again for coming on the show today Andy. It's been such a great pleasure talking with you and thank you for sharing so much about yourself. I really enjoyed the conversation and you know it's always so hard to say goodbye so To all you wonderful viewers out there, please make sure that you subscribe to this channel and leave us a comment below and let us know what you found valuable about our conversation today. And what was it that you found or resonated with Andy? Was it his travel? Perhaps it was his cooking? Um, And maybe was there something that we talked about today that will help you to overcome an obstacle that you're currently facing? So thanks again for watching and if you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a comment, give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel and share with a friend. And thanks again, Annie, for being here. It's been wonderful and we'll all say goodbye now.
1: My pleasure. Take care, Katie.
0: Thank you. Bye for now.